as far as my own book is concerned it's unfortunate but i cannot disclose because i've had bad experience before disclosing to even our own people and then somebody that people are mischievous they go to try to do things and people try to subvert and block the book and start petitions against it and this book will uh, will put on the defensive some very big names uh, and we are right now what we are doing is collecting all the evidence all the online evidence making a backup copy making a mirror image because the moment they find out they're going to start scrubbing their websites i had the opportunity to get to know rajiv ji for the past 20 plus years since my college days at rutgers university uh, where i was a sophomore and i first met rajiv ji who had a deep impact on me personally and many other young hindus who have either born and raised in the united states uh, or have been raised here since their childhood so i am personally thankful for rajiv ji for starting this movement and inspiring many of us through this work uh, when we started kona almost 2 years ago we um, the first session that we did was with rajiv ji and uh, through his inspiration we have been able to come forward So thank you, Rajiv Ji, and welcome today. So uh, um, thank you, uh, Nikunj, for such an amazing uh, event. Uh, Nikunj has been uh, working on this uh, particular event for about a year, and his team uh, have worked very hard. I just want everybody to know. Uh, I'm glad we have 1,100 people registered to uh, to participate in this. Uh, I'm also delighted that uh, uh, we have uh, Madhukishwar here. She also has been a fellow traveler on this. long and convoluted journey for 25 years uh, we go back to the 1990s uh, so i uh, uh, this is this is an important event for me to celebrate to commemorate you know not only the book but actually the mo- movement the the breaking india idea started in the 90s when i discovered that uh, uh, people from our side were complaining one episode at a time but not able to figure out what's the big framework and they were very localized in the view within india had a very limited view of what's happening outside india the problem is a global one the the framework you need is a global framework you cannot really develop that sitting in india you can develop a one way a one part of it and wonder where are these things coming from and kind of uh, oversimplify or stereotype what the global dynamics might be but you really need to be somebody situated elsewhere where all these problems are coming from be very familiar with how the system works be very confident be able to go look into privacy uh, private uh, records and files and file under the freedom of information uh, you know in, intervene in their conferences uh, hire people who will go infiltrate and figure out what's going on all of that i did since the 90s but one of the one of the uh, uh, the major events uh, before i say that let me tell you what i'd like to cover overall in this i want to cover a bit of the history which i will just talk about of how this book came about i want to discuss what i faced when the book came out and how the book has made an impact over time but i'd like to hear other people's views who been part of the story uh, how uh, the hindu community the indian community has responded and where we are falling short i also want to talk about the state of the kurukshetra today and when i talk about the state of the kurukshetra today it includes both a discussion on the other side how they become stronger what they are up to and also a discussion on our side i feel that our meetings and gatherings do not do enough self critique uh, we don't do enough self critique we like to either pat our back feel good the feel good uh, drug uh, addiction is very strong everybody wants to feel good either by saying how great we are or by knocking down the other side without really 
understanding the depth and magnitude of their accomplishments. So I, I think this self-critique is, uh, is lacking and I want to do a bit of that. And then I'll talk about what are some of the projects that Infinity Foundation has going forward. Uh, so with that kind of a plan of my talk today, uh, let me get started. So the, the, the book is the result of several ep episodes and interventions I came across at the American Academy of Religion. I used to go to every single con year's conference for many, many years. We were donating. We were contributing to the academy, the American Academy. We, we had funded Columbia University, University of California, Harvard University, all these kind of places spent a huge amount of money. And so I was very hands-on in terms of engaging them, uh, looking at all the dissertations that came out, going to all their, their conferences and their events. And uh, whether I was on a panel or sitting on, in, uh, in the audience, I would raise my hand and interact a lot. And, you know, they started finding that I'm a bit of an anomaly. For, first, there was nobody else funding uh, India and Hinduism. Nobody else. With the exception of SP, uh, SP Hinduja, uh, from in Geneva, he had a few programs, but nobody else, none of these things that we now have existed at that time, uh, engaging the academy, it was pretty much abandoned. And nobody really cared. The The views of the VHP in America and the RSS and the BJP was that, you know, it doesn't matter. We are worried about uh, what we are doing in mandirs and we are doing very well. We are making a lot of money. So they were not concerned about the intellectual dimension and in, in some ways actually cynical about uh, the intellectual dimension. So this was a loan project, and I found that uh, things were troubling. The, while I thought that by funding them, I could influence, but that was not the case. And I started getting deeper and deeper to analyze what is the cause of all this happening. It's not enough to know. It's not enough to compile a list of inc incidents. You have to go deep and figure out what's causing it, who is behind it, who is funding it, what's their agenda, what's their history. you got to do all of that. So I, I started doing that and giving talks uh, uh, in the 1990s. Uh, then some e-groups started. There was a Google, there was a Yahoo groups, a whole uh, phenomenon of Yahoo groups. And we created one of the largest Yahoo groups at that time. We had a few thousand members, very, very vibrant. Uh, and then we started doing our own conferences, uh, our own events, rather than funding the other side. And, you know, I have to tell you very honestly that... Uh, I was very disappointed with the lack of support from the Indian consulate and Indian embassy or the Indian government or culture ministry or anybody in India on the government side. I was very disappointed by the lack of support from the Sangaparivar at that time. They were not interested. Uh, they were so inbred uh, and patting each other on the back as, you know, how things are going well for us in North America, but not really aware of these kind of problems. Uh, and what changed for me is something very surprising. Uh, this will surprise you. Uh, when I was attacked by my opponents, then my people started taking me seriously. Now, this is very strange. Uh, it, it, is the, it is thanks to Wendy Doniger and her students that I became known. I mean, because they started uh, uh, one fellow in uh, Emory University uh, called the FBI that he's, uh, he thinks I'm a dangerous fellow and he wants, and he went to the uh, 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 academic conferences talking about me and he got a grant to go around the US and Europe talking about the threats that uh, he's facing, threats, violent threats he's facing from a guy like me. And uh, what am I doing? What are my threats? I'm writing. That's what I'm doing. I'm writing. And these writings are considered a threat by him. And uh, Dinah Eck at the American Academy of Religion 
uh, in one of the conferences, uh, wondered why the FBI is not uh, keeping track of certain Hindu people, uh, like they're keeping track of some Muslims. So why not the Hindus also? And remember, she was the uh, Harvard senior most person in Hinduism studies. And here is a person studying Hinduism as her whole career and wondering why the FBI is not targeting the, and investigating Hindus. So I, I've been through all that and it didn't bother me. I've been through a lot of nonsense. Uh, the FBI showed up at uh, Swami Dhyanand Saraswati's Dashram in Arshavidya Gurupalam uh, in uh, Pennsylvania because I used to speak there a lot and they wanted to find out who, what this place is all about. And, you know, uh, they went around uh, doing some, asking a few questions uh, and they went away that, you know, there's just a, an ashram, you know, that's what it is. And then um, Jack Holly started a research project at Columbia University called Hinduism Here, here meaning United States. And, uh, and each team was supposed to, the, the students were put into teams. Uh, so one of my, uh, somebody very close to me was a spy of mine. He was in one of those teams. And so he was always telling me what's going on. Uh, so each team was supposed to go to some uh, dangerous Hindu and uh, investigate. So one of them went to BAPS. One of them went to Swami Dhyanand Saraswati's organization. One of them was supposed to investigate Infinity Foundation. Like that, there were three or four target groups at that time. So all that happened. Uh, and then those results were presented at the American Academy of Religion. Uh, and I insisted that uh, I, I want you to come and investigate us as much as you want. But on the condition that when you present the report, I'll be allowed to come and respond. So they allowed me to come and I gave a response. And all of that is online. So this was a period of very vibrant, dynamic back and forth going on. Uh, you know, and this is what got the Indian community and Hindu community to finally realize that there is this guy who's doing all this fighting. So maybe, you know, maybe there's something important. So I think, uh, and then it was, it was something I exposed on Ganesh when they called Ganesh a limp phallus. And they, when they started insulting the goddess and when they started insulting Sri Ramakrishna. So these things happened many years later, but when I started exposing how they are making fun of our deities and gurus. That is what got the Hindu community really upset. So it was an emotional, uh, they pushed the, the emotional buttons. If you push the emotional buttons, the, our community will respond. But as long as it was a very serious intellectual analysis of the whole ecosystem, what's going on, people are not taking it too seriously. This is just something I just want to uh, put on the table. Now, there has been a, lot of progress. Obviously, we are here today. Uh, such a such an event was not happening uh, 25 years ago. Uh, there was no Nikunj. Uh, there weren't all these other kind of groups either. Uh, so now you have them organized. Uh, people are concerned that we have a problem, uh, and and there is a lot of noise being made. A lot of channels on the on the social media. A lot of virtual events, physical events going on, and many new icons and heroes have come up on our side. So. It's a, it's a different kind of dynamics than it used to be. Uh, now I no longer need to bother because there's a lot of, when something happens, a lot of the other people are fighting for our side. I don't need to bother. So I'm, I'm looking at the future. Where, where are things headed? What is going on that people are not looking at? Uh, because the things that are already well known, the problems that are already well known, we have a whole lot of uh, uh, our own people who are concerned about it such as the 1,100 people who registered here. But there are, but all is not well. I, I do want to, uh, I do want to uh, discuss uh, some of the issues. Let me see my time. Um, 
Okay, I, I, I have time. Um, <clears throat> so, one of the main issues I see is, uh, I, I have asked the question, where are the Pandavas? Where are the Pandavas today? I mean, you know, you need to have people who are well-trained. Uh, they need to have a whole lot of subject matter expertise. They need to have the debating skills. They need to know about the other side, how to bring them down. Uh, they need to work together. They need the support of, uh, you know, bigger mechanisms. And this should not be once in a while when there's a problem that some Pandava comes up and fixes, you know, fights back. This has to be an ongoing thing. We need an, a home team. A home team would be something which is permanent. Uh, many of them have to be paid. We have our share of such people in India and in the United States who are paid. We also have, uh, uh, you know, people that are a lot of volunteers that do this work for us. But we need more. We are we are outgunned, outmanned, outfunded by our opponents. That's true. Uh, opponents on the left wing side, opponents on the Christian missionary side, Islam, uh, opponents on the Islamic side, all all kind of opponents. So we 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 certainly have. While we are better off than we were. Uh, it's still uh, still running quite quite short of where we we need to be. Uh, the the recent last year there was a, this uh, dismantling Hindutva conference, and let me tell you the good part and the bad part. That's like 15, 20 years after our movement started. So certainly we were able to galvanize a lot of people on our side, which is good. Thanks to Nikunj and many other people, we played our role. Uh, we took all the uh, uh, I, I had a personal discussion with the president of Rutgers University, various other places. So a lot of people came together. But there are two things that bother me from our side. One is there were multiple petitions. It was not like one petition. Uh, some group A put up a petition, got a few hundred or a few thousand signatures, and a group B put up their own separate petition. Rather than building one, rather than having a team come together, draft a petition, make sure that everybody's included, you know, there were multiple petitions. So we weren't even able to get our act together. While the other side was highly unified. They had a thousand or more academic scholars all over the world signing up. You know, the one group, one movement, one voice, one position paper. Second issue is that when, the, when that event was over, uh, all this energy dissipated. You know, but do you know, two more events have happened since. As bad as that one and worse. Some of the events that have happened since that dismantling Hindutva conference are even worse because people in the Biden administration have become part of it. It's no longer just academic people. They were also getting the government into it. The government, this goes way back, the axis of, uh, you know, the nexus of government and academics and think tanks is pretty old in this country. Uh, and I'm writing on this quite a lot now on what is the government... Uh, up to. So while these things have happened from the opposing side, we haven't really responded. We are still talking about the dismantling of the conference as some kind of a historic event, but that was one out of many, and there have been other conferences since. So what happened is, uh, this is something that uh, uh, my friend uh, uh, Kapila Vatsyanji, who is no more, uh, elderly person, uh, mother figure, uh, very friendly to me, very, very close. She used to describe this whenever I was to go to Delhi and uh, go to her office and I would say, what do you think of this person or that event from our side? She would say, Rajiv, to Diwali ka padaka hai. Diwali cracker, which means what she was saying is that the Diwali cracker 
blows up, makes a lot of noise, lights up the sky, but then a minute later is gone. And there's no after, there's no value long term. It makes a lot of noise short term and it's highly visible. Uh, everybody notices it and appreciates it, but then it's gone and there's nothing afterwards. So she felt that a lot of our events and our activities are like that. It's a momentary success. It's short term, feel good. Uh, we've done something, made a huge damaka. And then, you know, a few weeks later, it's all forgotten, gone, nobody cares, and so on. There is no permanent structure to combat the series of dismantling things that others are doing against us. What you need is a permanent structure with assignments, papers that have to be produced by them, research that they have to do, longitudinal studies they have to do, construction, constructive work and deconstructive work, both constructive, like our 14-volume series on history of Indian science and technology. We need many things like that. And deconstructive, where you're going and deconstructing various ideologies, various camps, various types of universities, constantly. And this is not just a reaction to something went wrong. It's not that they have attacked us, so we get our people together and fire back. That's not it. You need a permanent army. You need a standing army. Uh, you need a you need an intellectual army that's always doing these kind of things and not just reacting. So that's a that is a is a serious uh, issue uh, we currently have. Also, I I see it's a very serious, very sad thing that the new leaders who come up are all interested in instant limelight, getting into the spotlight, becoming popular in the social media, uh, you know, trampling over each other. Uh, there is no you know, kind of a collaborativeness. And and uh, uh, I, I feel that a lot of people I trained, that I trained, that worked uh, for us, and they were inspired by us. They were, they, you got, we have so many uh, moving emails and messages from them and so many videos of how much they were grateful have decided to go off on their own. That's fine. But also some of them turned nasty. You know, so I, I don't want to get into too many names, but there are, I, I mean, among the top, video channels that you see in our space, I would say more than half of them were, they started out their lives, their careers in this area, working with Infinity Foundation. This is some of them in the 90s, some of them after 2000, some of them after 2010, but somewhere or other, uh, you know, and these are big names. They're quite well-established people now, but they don't want to come together. Uh, they each want to go off on their own. I think that's a weakness we have. So somebody should have played the role of big of a big umbrella. And I always propose to my friends at the RSS that they should have played the role because they have the they have the position, they have the the uh, you know capacity, uh, they have the scale, they have the history to look after all these things. And so so many little, little groups that are entrepreneurial groups that want to go off on their own and do good things. Somebody needs to put them together. But, you know, I cannot speak, I cannot uh, tell them what they should do. Their, their decision is that they will only do things with their own internal people. And they have a certain way of uh, doing things. They're doing very good work. And they don't want to expand their role and their scope to include the dharma community in general, even those who are not part of the sun per se or institutionally, but who are independent operators. They don't want to expand into that. So we don't have anybody... Uh, Bringing, doing the work like the World Council of Churches, uh, where all kind of independent churches exist, but they come together and each of them is, is supported by this big, big umbrella organization. We don't have that uh, umbrella of organizations like Islamic people have. The Council on Islamic Education, CAIR, there are many kind of groups like that. 
Hindus, we don't have a group like that, that, that everybody will respect and say, okay, that's the umbrella group we all belong to, and they don't play favorites. They're going to support whoever is doing good work. This is needed. And uh, I proposed this to the Ramakrishna Mission. I proposed it to Sri Sri Ravi Shankar. I proposed it to all the gurus. I proposed it to the Sangh people. And so far, uh, it seemed that everybody is more interested in their own uh, success as, a, as an organization and not taken on the, the big thing. So uh, I also find that, you know, when somebody's in trouble, when I've been in trouble, uh, okay, hardly anybody would come to my help. I, I, this is this is true. Uh, I call this the wounded warrior syndrome. In the military, you never leave a wounded warrior behind. Uh, if if you are a group and one of your warriors is fought, uh, is injured, you have to stay there. If he's dead, you got to bring his body back. If he's alive, you got to help him. You cannot just ditch him, abandon him. You cannot say he's a liability. So I don't. We don't want to worry about him. Such a military would die because if you can't look after each other, then there is no teamwork. Nobody would stick their neck out and fight if they felt that you know if I'm injured, they're going to ditch me. So why should I fight? I should take. I should be risk averse and play it safe. So what we have is a lot of people who will be big heroes when they are with each other in a like-minded group. But when it's time to stick their neck out, go into enemy territory and fight it out and take the risk. Many of them don't want to do that. They want to encourage someone else to do it. And when that person gets hit, they're not there to help him. They'll just ditch him because he's a liability. So I became a liability many times in the last 25, 30 years. I must say liability to our own people who would just then start blaming me, accusing me, making fun of me. So I'm saying all these things because I want people to understand this, to debate it, to figure out, you know, we do need help for the wounded warrior. We need, we need a mechanism such that if any one of us is attacked, then all of us have to come to defend him, protect him, give him some resources. Maybe he needs legal resources, financial resources. Maybe he needs moral support. Maybe he needs social media support. We ought to be there for each other, especially somebody who's sticking his neck out for our collective best, best interest. Uh, now I will talk about uh, individuals. Indi our individuals tend to be very emotional. I can get, I can do a tweet and get 50 times as many likes and retweets if I'm talking, either I'm hitting out against a well-known enemy or I'm giving some great big praise of our side, making people feel good. But if it's something, neither of these two extremes, if it is something thoughtful, if it's something analytical, if it's something, especially if I'm requiring them to read a little bit, to study a little bit, do some, spend some time on it, no, hardly anybody seems interested. So we do not have good reading skills. I mean, people need to be much better read. I find that uh, I, I actually have had, I have quite, uh, people think I, I, I only have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, intellectual relations and engagement with Westerners and Christians and leftists and all that. That is true. But I also have a few Muslims, but I, and I also have a very large number of Chinese because I used to do business in China. So I've kept some contact in various ways. I find that uh, reading skills are quite more developed among our opponents. Uh, they do read a lot. Uh, they, one of the reasons they read a lot is they streamline the scholarship. It comes from certain authorities. They respect whatever those people publish. They definitely read it. Uh, so it, it's not so haphazard. And, and it's kind of an organized, almost like a curriculum, almost like a curriculum that all the activists are required to read. Uh, in our case, 
you know, uh, most people today are not even familiar with the writings I've done. I put so much effort into them. They are familiar with video, a video here and a video there. They don't, they don't even have attention span for 30 minutes of a video. They'll say, okay, tell me in two minutes. That's all I can do. So the attention span is very limited. People are very emotional. They want a feel-good injection, of, uh, like a dose a dose of a drug, right? Quickly, quickly, instant feel-good. That's kind of the state of uh, a large part of our, our, our people. And so, thanks to a catchy vocabulary, we did, in, we did coin catchy terms. Some of them we coined, some of them we repurposed existing terms. Uh, some of these terms that started getting used, like breaking India and Hindu phobia and mutual respect and atrocity literature, and we have 108 terms that we've identified. Many of these terms are repurposing old terms that were out of circulation or they had a different meaning, uh, and we, tried, we brought it into the current context, and some terms we coined. So these terms have done good work. They have, uh, the, because they don't require a lot of attention span, a lot of uh, knowledge and reading skills and so on. So a large number of people can sort of participate by, uh, you know, buzz, using these buzzwords and become important. So that's good. At least at one level, people can, uh, people can participate uh, emotionally. Uh, but we also need a larger group of people producing solid scholarship. And solid scholarship is something where, you know, you spend multiple years per book. Uh, so and, and like the new book I'm going to come out with, I'll talk in a moment just a little bit on it. Uh, it's a result of multiple years. It'll be five, six hundred pages, and it'll just change the whole discourse, the whole framework of breaking India. Uh, but but I feel it's very difficult for me to find uh, people with that kind of a commitment. Uh, very difficult to find people who because they would rather go from this event to that event and go to this show and go to Arnab and go to that guy and make some big noise. So all that's needed. But I want to point out the difference between activism and scholarship. There's a difference between activism and scholarship. Uh, activism is needed, scholarship is needed, and some people can do both, but they are very distinct things. A scholar produces something which has a long life, long shelf life. It is deep research. It will withstand scrutiny, debate, argumentation, due diligence, all of that, cross-examination. Uh, and it has, a, it has a life of its own. It has a long shelf life. Whereas activism, you go from one episode to another, one uh, you know, reaction to something to the next one. And, 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 it may, and it basically takes the ideas that the scholar has produced and sort of spins them, recycles them. So activists should be supporting the scholars. And scholars should be feeding the activists. Long ago, when Infinity Foundation was uh, starting, you know, I met some young people who were in medical school uh, and they would meet, go to, uh, attend my talks at Arshvidya Gurukulam and follow me in various places I would go. And they wanted to create some kind of activist group. And so the, the understanding was that Infinity Foundation is a think tank. They are the activists. They will go to Washington, start an activist group and work with Congress and all that kind of stuff. And they launched that activist group, and it, it, it is called the Hindu American Foundation. But within a year or two, Harvard, Harvard, Diana Eck convinced them to break up, break up the relations with Infinity Foundation, uh, because Harvard would then be helping them if they did not, uh, if they were not aligned with me. And they took that bait, and they disconnected with me, and then they went off their own way, and then there was tension between us, and Harvard ditched them. Harvard played the smart game of disuniting Hindus, breaking the scholar and the activist into separate camps, making them tense uh, in, the, in the pretext of uh, 
of uh, nurturing and helping the activists, but then they dumped them. They, they got nothing out of Harvard ever, and they know they won't. But it ended up spoiling the relations with me. So I can give you many such examples. Okay, uh, and I have no hard feelings. I think the, uh, Suhag is doing a very good job now. I'm very glad for her. I wish her well. I, I like to talk to her once in a while, and we collaborate. But I'm just giving you the history of how uh, our people get poisoned very easily against each other, rather than being there and supporting each other. Now, let me uh, since since this is a very this is an endless topic, but let me uh, let me uh, uh, give a few uh, things and then I'll close. And I'd like to have questions. I consider I consider my commitment not to a neta, not to a political party or a government, not to the rashtra, but to the dharma. I'm repeating. So I want you to know four levels. The dharma is what I support. That is my yajna. And my swadharma is towards that. Now, if you look at the Vedas, Rig Veda, the word rashtra is used as a means to an end. Rashtra is something that is the collective mobilization towards dharma. Rashtra is not something you support for the sake of supporting some people and getting them into power or something. Rashtra has to be supported because its main purpose is to support the dharma. And it has to support the dharma, otherwise that is not the right kind of rashtra. So dharma is above rashtra in terms of priorities for me. Rashtra, okay, is different from Rajya, also in the Vedas. Uh, I've done this huge amount of study, and this is one of my unpublished books that I'm just telling you a little bit about. Rashtra is not Rajya. You know, the person called Rashtrapati in India is actually a Rajapati, he's head of state, he's head of the rule, ruling of the country. But Rashtra is a different concept. It is the, the people, the ideology, the philosophy, the, the tradition, uh, you know, the the, the, the the land, all the sacred places, our ancestors. Rashtra is all the material, physical, spiritual embodiment. Uh, okay. And Rajya is the one organ. Like if you, it, it, it gives the analogy of you have a, a, a person and there are many organs. So similarly, Rashtra has many organs. One of them is the government. You need, you need somebody, the Raja. The Raja which is the government in the state in today's terms, that's the, that Raja is different from Rashtra. So we've got three concepts now. Dharma, then Rashtra, and then Raj, Raja. Now, Raja, below that all is, is the Neta, okay, who's uh, supporting or providing uh, service as a Raja, towards Raja. And Rajya exists as an organ to uh, help out, nurture, and empower the Rashtra. And the Rashtra exists to support the Dharma. So what has happened is the other way around now. What has happened is uh, people are into this neta idolatry. And there is, no, there is no accountability. There's no constructive criticism. Our tradition is not about sucking up to some neta as an idol and all that. The neta is not to be made into a devata. This is bullshit. It's complete, utter nonsense. It has nothing to do with our Vedic tradition. With all the respect for all, even the greatest and finest uh, netas, we are supposed to question them, cross-examine them, 
you know, in the in the Bhagavad Gita, you see in the in the Mahabharata, you see in all our texts, you see how sharp the debates are. Today, if you raise issues with good intention, with my whole life dedicated to this cause, I mean, I don't I don't have to prove my good intention. I've given up everything I could tan man dhan towards this cause. But the moment I raise issues and interrogate and have some critique and doubt with a constructive posture, I know I'm hit, I'm attacked. That who are you? Why are you doing this? This guy, I mean, it's almost like I've attacked some kind of a devta and all the fellows are going to come after me. This is not healthy. This is, does not build a healthy, vibrant rashtra. What we have to build is a healthy, vibrant rashtra. And the Rajya is not there just to win elections and be power. They have to be there as a means towards the Rashtra. And the individual Neta has to be a servant, has to be providing the service towards all of this. And the public has to be able to critique and evaluate. And the job of a public intellectual like me is to do that. And it is not out of disrespect. It could be that we have the best Neta ever we had modern times. But even so, it is our job to to keep them on their toes and to give them feedback and to be very objective and analytical about it. And so I have no uh, regrets about you know taking these positions from a very objective standpoint, which I often do. And I hope the people understand that I have no bad intentions and we, we should have a mechanism, which is not just like-minded people talking, praising each other and all that stuff in a very uh, controlled environment, where we should be able to have position papers that argue, debate and things like that. Uh, so that's and that's the kind of background I come from, from both my corporate life and for also from the dharma that I've studied, the vibrant debate, disagreement, dissent, all of that should be encouraged. Um, regarding the where is where is the Kurukshetra today? Well, first of all, I will tell you that a large amount of our organizations and institutions have been infiltrated have been infiltrated by decoys, by people who have Hindu names, uh, by, by people who talk like, like the right kind of things, who may even have a name that says they're defending Hinduism or protecting Hindu human rights and all that, but they're compromised. And I don't want to go into too many details, but I will, I'm writing a book on this. This is going to be a big five, 600 page book. I'm only 45 days away from finishing it. I've been at it for a couple of years. Uh, working on it from four or five, four o'clock or five o'clock in the morning, seven days a week, working at, very hard at it. And I want to finish this because I think this will be a huge bombshell. Yeah, many familiar people are implicated, but a lot of people you would not suspect. A lot of people you think are really goody, goody, nice guys, they are implicated. And I, I am going to put out evidence and background details on what's going on. Uh, and I'll uh, I'll defend it. I'll defend the book because I, it's a tough book uh, and it's needed. So, they, so the Breaking India forces have infiltrated our organizations. And the Breaking India forces have appropriated more people than before. In the first Breaking India book was mainly Christian missionaries uh, going after you know village people, uh, then, uh, then some Islamists uh, and Dravidianists. And and uh, you know uh, left wing people, Maoists, and so on. Uh, all that is in chapter nineteen uh, of Breaking India book. But now there's many more people. There's many more categories of ideologies and many more kinds of people who are who are into this. So uh, to close uh, and, and and take your questions, 
Uh, I want to just tell you a little bit about the uh, our plans for 2022 from Infinity Foundation. Uh, we have four books coming, four books. One of them is my personal book, that uh, for which, by the way, I have a new co-author. I won't announce today, but this is a new person who's not been an author before. I'm very proud of this person, and this is going to be a great, it is a great partnership, and this will be a, one of the brilliant authors uh, in our movement in the future. So uh, uh, the, uh, that is one. Uh, but the three other books are not by me. This is the good news. Uh, our mentoring of young scholars is now producing results. Um, so these three books, one of them is a major 500-page trans in the translation of one of my books, but done entirely by independent people. But the other two books are collections of articles by eight, 10 people each. Uh, and so this means that, you know, good 15, 20 new scholars are being born uh, in these two books. I may write the introduction and I'll certainly promote it and, and, and do everything I, I, I should do to help it out. But the credit goes to these authors. They are, they are really working hard. And you will see that the quality, the standard of scholarship is extremely high. I mean, I have not let anybody get away with some rubbish and ad hominem attacks and emotions and you know things they can't substantiate. Rigor, standard rigor is very high. So we are producing now work which is not just from me, but from other people, because that has to be done. Uh, that's what I wanted to say. And and my, uh, you know, terabytes of storage, a uh, lot of videos, a lot of online storage, a lot of proceedings of meetings, and a lot of private information that we've gathered, which is not in the public domain. Uh, so this will be probably launched in the middle of the year. That's my best guess at which time I'll work with, uh, I've already promised to Madhukishwar that I'll definitely uh, have her interview me because she's been very close to me. And I think it's only appropriate since she was so much in the Breaking India 1.0 uh, that now we are, when we launched the Breaking India 2.0, she has to be part of it. And certainly I would invite Kona and many others whoever wants. Uh, so thank you very much, all of you for listening. I just wanted to give you a snapshot of the whole Breaking India journey. Mm -hmm.